New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our weekend review. We're looking back on a weekend where the Premier League carried on without missing a beat, even though Gary Lineker ended soccer with a controversial tweet, where Bournemouth bid to stay up, take a huge stride thanks to a Mosala penalty that went about five feet wide, where Graham Potter picked up some more Chelsea clout and Casemiro earned himself four games out. Elsewhere, Bayern stayed top by hitting five, Barcelona continued to thrive, Inter Milan lost a little bit of honour, and Napoli are still rocking thanks to Cavaradonna. And in MLS, Minnesota played in the snow. New England were dealt a Californian blow. St. Louis are proving to be a massive hit. And Charlotte FC looked short of ideas. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man whose life is finer because apparently he spent the weekend in North Carolina. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Uh, yes, it's fine because I'm back in Virginia, uh, thankfully. I no longer have to be in All North right. Carolina. Calm in your down. face, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Why did you have to go there straight off the bat? Really? I was trying to be nice about North Carolina for a second. <laughs> so much Tar Heels gear. So much Tar Heels gear all over the place. Uh, and for a person who about this time of year gets interested in college basketball, I guess that's good. I guess that okay. was a good reminder that college basketball exists. So not, I pursue- the, not that North Carolina will be in March Madness, just to be clear. Not like, uh, <laughs> not like the University of Arizona, baby. Two seed in the South. Let's go. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm already lost. That's okay. Don't worry about it, Ryan. It's fine. <laughs> Taylor, for were, you. You in, um, were you in North Carolina because you happened to be coaching Charlotte FC and you decided to move all the players around into different positions and tell them not to defend? Is that what you were there for this weekend? Uh, n- no, I am not their new coach or their former coach. Uh, but it, it was fun to see uh, Charlotte also be bad this weekend since Manchester United, as you mentioned, had a rough weekend, Ryan. It was nice to know that we could commiserate in the beginning of this show. Uh, I don't know who our, our two hosts are, are, what they're feeling about their respective teams. But uh, yeah, a rough weekend overall. Uh, for people on this show so far. Well, Taylor, let's dig in a little more into that. Joining yeah. us, a man who uh, handles his analysis like Gavi dives headfirst into headed tackles, Joe Lowry. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Barcelona game, but Gavi twice did like the John Terry, Phil Jones header one inch off the floor thing. It was it was a work of art, Joe. Did you see Dude, it? Gavi doesn't understand that he's like five feet, 110. <laughs> like he, do- he doesn't know it. I don't think he's ever actually like looked in a full body mirror to see how small he is as a person, to go into these challenges so recklessly. Or maybe it's his lack of size that allows him to go full-on like torpedo right straight into somebody. I don't know Mm. what it is, but this kid is pure chaos. He is Barcelona. He is kind of exactly what Xavi wants from a central midfielder, from a half-space guy, wherever he's going to be playing on any given weekend. But he is also just pure energy and fight, and it is so good. 
It's great. So little regard for his own personal safety. Yeah. I'm a big, yeah, big fan go. of the style. Uh, Graham Rutherford is out on vacay this week. So joining us, we have a man who isn't going to make us talk about pies for a few minutes. David Gass, hello. How are you? How did your team teams perform this weekend? Well, I'm neutral across the board. That's how I always am winning. But <laughs> I've been eating a lot of Colombian meat pastries this weekend. They're basically like pies. So if you need me to fill that role, I'm capable of doing it. Columbia Meat Pastries was my favorite band from 2002. That's uh, pretty cool. Very nice. Why have you been eating a lot of them lately? Uh, I'm visiting a town out on Long Island, and some so- told me that this bakery was good, and I went in the first day and was like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And so to get creative, I've just re-eaten the same thing over and over again. Very nice. Gus, is that, where are you from originally? Long Island. That's what I thought. So, How am yeah. I supposed to say it if you're from there? Like, what is Long the, Island? The, is it Long Island? Is that how you yeah. do it? Yeah, you nice, just combined right. the two. You could call it Strong Island if you really wanted to. No, but then you'd have to wear a velour jumpsuit and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I'm back that. in. I'm back in. Once the velour <laughs> jumpsuit became an option, I'm back in. Uh, David, while we're talking about pronunciation, I have to ask you, is it acceptable for someone with my accent to say David Gass? I ask this because uh, my daughter, who grew up in the US but has British parents, we were in the car not so long ago, and she said, Daddy, can we stop in the gas station? I was like, the gas station. I want to go to the gas station. I was like, have I done this? Have I polluted her pronunciation? That's a long way of saying, do people pronounce your name wrong quite a lot? Yes, they do. It's German, though, so it's weird that the English... I didn't know the English part was an issue. Normally, the issue is if it's an A or an O, and oh. that's a German thing, and yeah. I'm not German, so I don't really care. So oh. feel free to call me whatever you want. Well, that's interesting. You've gone with the correct European pronunciation of your name as gas, because um, Americans... Don't don't take this badly, everybody. On this, call. Americans <laughs> tend to they tend to pronounce their own names incorrectly quite a lot. Uh, uh. Like um, I've got a friend whose surname is uh, Doherty, who says Doherty. Um, I know someone who's called Gerda, who says Getty. So congratulations, David, for actually pronouncing your own name correctly. Apparently, it's because my uncle was tired of getting made fun of as a kid at school when he was like eight, and my grandparents didn't care because it's a fake name. That's what. That's probably why Americans don't pronounce their names right. Because they got to Ellis Island and they told them, no, your name's this now, and no one ever cared. Yeah, that's that's, that's your introduction to this country. Your name is this now. Deal with it. Ryan, if ever there were a great introduction as to why the whole world loves the English, it's them showing up in that country and then saying, you're saying your name incorrectly, just so you know. Uh, And as a person who, as I've said before, was frequently told, why do you have a surname for a first name uh, by people who almost universally had English accents? I just want to say, from the bottom of my heart, be quiet, Ryan. I'm saying you're pronouncing your names wrong and we will revoke your independence at any given moment should you continue to do so. <laughs> Shall we continue with the podcast? Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, if you want more of this hilarious uh, surname pronunciation. I mean, you all are doing stuff. a great job of uh, revoking your own independence already, so that's working out well for England. Oh, boy. Oh, that leads us to our opening wow. topic, Tay-Tay. How perfect. Um, listener, we are an American soccer show, of course, but you may have noticed on the socials and elsewhere a big story happening in England and Britain, I should say, uh, over the weekend. Gary Lineker, who the legendary striker of Tottenham and Barcelona fame, who is uh, the preeminent BBC talent um, for presenting Match of the Day, sort of the cultural behemoth that is Match of the Day, the Saturday night highlight show of Premier League that happens every week. Or it nearly happened this past weekend. Basically, 
Gary Lineker was told to step back from hosting uh, over a row the BBC had over impartiality. So he tweeted last week about UK uh, migration policy that's being condemned by the United Nations. By the way, he likened it to uh, 1930s Germany. He was suspended for being political and was told he would have to agree to follow social guidelines to be allowed back on. So the issue there being that dozens of other presenters on the same network, the BBC, are political in their social presence. Um, the issue also being that the BBC has many of its upper echelons. Its director general, for example, are donors of the Conservative Party in the UK. So there's some issues over impartiality and some ironies over him being taken off the air over impartiality. But we had this incredible series of events on Friday where his co, um, co-analyst Alan Shearer said, well, I'm not doing the show either. Ian Wright said the same thing. Then all of the commentators who were commentating on the highlights said, we're not doing it either. Then BBC Radio stepped down. So basically you had this situation where Match of the Day, um, which Taylor likes to completely legally watch every week, um, Always. as a matter of course, uh, ended up being 20 minutes long. It's usually, it can be an hour and a half sometimes. Uh, definitely usually over an hour. They had no world feed rights to BBC, so it had no commentary at all. It was basically, Taylor, like watching a bad poorly produced YouTube clip um, one after the other with even even the graphics in between them looked like it was the intern that made them. It was incredible. And it may well have been. Uh, like, then I saw the tweet that the the like viewership was up and I couldn't tell if that was sort of spin that they were trying to say, like, actually, people love this or <laughs> if that was uh, data from before these events had occurred or if that was basically people tuning in to see how big of a train wreck it was going to be because you had no one hosting it and doing the job that those gentlemen usually do, which which is to say explaining the games, providing great analysis, providing good tactical insight, and having a bit of banter at the same time. Indeed. Um, I think, Taylor, it tended to be, if you have like a Union Jack in your Twitter handle, you tend to... (laughs) like the new format that we saw mm. last weekend for some reason i can't figure out why i don't know why <laughs> but uh, anyway the, the the update from today uh this monday as we speak is that gary lineker will be back presenting match of the day this coming weekend he will we understand be able to tweet without restrictions so um taylor this is what we call a giant own goal i believe from the british broadcasting corporation Yes, especially when you, there are things like when, Ryan, you first, uh, I think you were messaging the group about like, who's going to, like jokingly, who is going to take over match of the day hosting duties? And I speculated it would be Piers Morgan. And then to see Piers Morgan come out and basically defend uh, uh, Gary Lineker and say, it's interesting that you all wanted him to be political during the Qatar World Cup, but now you don't want that to be the case. And it does seem like there was a bit of selective memory with this one and selective approach when it comes to how the BBC tried to handle Gary Lineker and maybe a little bit of like don't you know who we are you'll do what we say and that did not go well and it has not gone well and I think it's a good reminder that like pundits can take a stand and say what they want and at the same time I mean it it does go both ways and it can be a little bit tricky but I think I'm very happy that Gary Lineker is back doing his job because I think he's excellent at what he does and I think he provides like just genuinely like a wonderful atmosphere for that show and for people who haven't seen it before uh for Americans who haven't seen it before it is an amazing program. Like it, it's 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 fr- it's friends. It's clearly friends who are like professionals at the same time with a long history of playing. So they bring that level of expertise. They bring that level of insight into what must be happening, why it must be happening. But it's way less reactionary in my mind, at least. It's way less inflammatory and screaming their takes and much more. Here is what went right. Here's what went wrong. Isn't this great? Wasn't this curious? And I think always with a little bit of like a tongue in cheek vibe. And I think to have that energy when it comes to talking 
talking about sports week in, week out is difficult. It's challenging. And so I'm really happy that Gary Lineker is back. I think he provides a wonderful service, and I think he's a good follow on Twitter as well. And the uh, most interesting part to me was he's not an employee of BBC, yeah. Gary Lineker. He's freelance hired to do this. So they didn't actually have a policy in place to control what he was tweeting, hence the chaos that I think ensued over the course of the week, which is, you know, for an organization like that, you'd, you'd probably want to look at your own guidelines before you do something Maybe. like suspending the biggest face. But you mentioned the relationship they have. I think it was pretty clear over the course of the weekend, right, to stand in solidarity quickly. Ian Wright announced he was not going to do the show before he even told the BBC on his own platforms. So, like, you saw the relationship they all have, which I agree with you makes the program entertaining. Yeah, excellent show of solidarity we saw there. But business as usual, and the BBC still may or may not be influenced by political institutions uh, here after fun and games, sport and politics, ladies and gents. This uh, is where... Ryan, this is where it becomes awkward because I have to announce actually Graham isn't on vacation. We just have uh, an unofficial policy of not talking about pies more than once a month. And uh, Graham has been sort of in violation of that. He won't stop tweeting about pies. So uh, he's, he's taking a, a mandatory break to think about his pie tweeting and his pie activity. And then we'll see what happens. See, if, if I was still allowed to constantly talk about pies, then this would be a comparable situation, Taylor. <laughs> there we are. All right. Exactly. Let's, there we are. Let's move on and talk about the soccers, shall we? Starting in the Premier League, Bournemouth won, Liverpool nil. Philip Billing with the goal there to help Bournemouth out of the relegation zone for a few hours at least. And as I mentioned, uh, David, in the intro, Mo Salah with the opportunity to get a goal for Liverpool, but put it quite wide into the stands. This is a team for Liverpool where you have, obviously last week, or was it two weeks ago at this point, where you're like, yep, this team's back. This is who they are. And then the same play, it's not like, oh, injuries and other pieces come in. The same exact players then show up the next game and look like that Space Jam scene where they've lost all their powers and they're like tripping over themselves. The defending on the goal conceded from Virgil van Dyke, who was the best defender on the planet not that long ago. And then every other teammate with him, I think, is even more uh, telling than the Mo Salah miss. It was indeed. Joe, what did you make of this one? Liverpool, are they back? They're going to be back next week. They're doing like that Borussia Dortmund roller coaster thing. You know how Dortmund used to be terrible and great uh, week on, week off? Used to be. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, definitely aren't that way anymore <laughs> okay. after the, uh, the up and down last couple nah. weeks we've seen from them. I mean, this is this is kind of who Liverpool are this season. I'm of the belief that their talent is good enough at least to get them into fifth and that maybe they're going to sneak into the Champions League next year if an English team wins it. They could climb up to, to fourth. They've got a game in hand on Tottenham, but there's six points there. As far as the gap goes, this was a really, really bad loss for Liverpool, not just because they didn't play especially well, not just because they left at least something on the table courtesy of that Mo Salah penalty miss, but because of the gap then that's that's there between them and Tottenham in the table. So issues there. Yeah, I, I, I'm completely stuck on this goal as well, guys. I, uh, I genuinely don't understand what Virgil van Dijk is doing on this play to the point where it made me wonder if he was injured or if there was something else happening here. So to run folks through it, it's a long ball over the top from Bournemouth. It's a really nice ball into, into space. And Konate keeps the man on. Yeah, right. So so there's the first error there from Liverpool is that the offside line is, is not good. It's not a line. It's more of like a, well, it's not a straight line. Let's put it that way. It's a series of lines. And so Bournemouth get the ball in behind the back line, and it's Virgil van Dijk 1v1 defending, which is exactly what you want if you're Liverpool. This is what you paid for. This is what you pay him for. And he gets dusted. And then, worse than that, it's okay if you lose that 1v1 battle. It's less okay if you're Virgil van Dijk. But he just gives up. Like, he just stops. 
And that, if I'm Jurgen Klopp, I am completely livid at that point. So then Bournemouth cut the ball back into the box, and Trent Alexander-Arnold and Konate both, I mean, they're in a tough spot, right, because they're not really in position. They're dealing with a little bit of an overload or at least a positional disadvantage there, but they both can't figure out how to mark Billing, and, and he scores a nice goal in the 28th minute. It is, it's a brutal sequence from Liverpool, and I can't help but think that when they're at their heyday under Jurgen Klopp a, a couple of years ago, like, this is the kind of goal that doesn't happen. Also, I know we mentioned Graham a lot. Graham, we miss you. Hope you're having a good either vacation or pie-enforced uh, detention. But, like, this is this is the kind of stuff. You know, we talk, we talk about CCV being the world's best defender now. It's clear that Virgil van Dijk heard that and his confidence is shattered. I'm just going to put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. T- Taylor, I mean, for Bournemouth, this is a massive result for them. They had that 2-0 lead at Arsenal, of course, which they didn't manage to hold on to uh, last weekend. Uh, Liverpool's next three games, by the way, Taylor. Uh, have you looked up who they're against? Because no. it's Man City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Yeah, boy. I mean, but as uh, Goss alluded to, we don't know if it's going to be a 7-0 against Chelsea with them winning and looking dominant, or if it's going to be them kind of taking their foot off the gas and coasting to 7th place, whatever it may be this season. It does feel like that Man United game, they were up for it. They were up for the rivalry, up for the derby. I guess it's not a derby, but up for the rivalry, uh, and were able to perform. Whereas with Bournemouth, it, it feels like they just didn't have that same level of intensity, and it does seem like a team right now that doesn't have that consistency, that unified approach that we've seen from Liverpool in the past that they're going to do the same thing against every opponent. They're going to have maybe a few variations, a few permutations, but ultimately they're going to go at that team, be dominant, make something happen here this season. I think with uh, a lot of it due to injuries, uh, which we can certainly talk about. I think they've had the most uh, games missed of of any team in the Premier League, 162 games in total for their squad. Uh, I was reminded when I looked at that graphic that Artur still plays for them. Uh, I think maybe has played one game. In the entire season. Uh, so he's been out. They've had plenty of injuries, and I think that does sort of compound the issues there. But with all that said, I won't be surprised if they win all three of those upcoming games because it's Liverpool, and why not? You say they've missed, like... a, they've missed 162 games. That's combined, I'm assuming, Taylor, because they haven't <laughs> nope. played that many. No, they, they missed itself. the last eight seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they missed yeah. the last eight <laughs> seasons of competitive fixtures. Yeah. And they wanted to pad that stat because Archer has been out for like six years for three different yes. clubs <laughs> and they acquired him so that they could be like, look, we have so many players out. That's why we're not performing well. I did uh, see that. It was like when you have Oxlade Chamberlain and Artur and I think there's one more in there that like that, um, that automatically means you're missing 100 games in total with those three players. Oh dear. Okay, why don't we take a quick move over to Old Trafford. Manchester United nil, Southampton nil. Uh, Casemiro with a red card in this one, Tate. Never had one Yay. at Real Madrid, everyone keeps telling us. This is second of this season. He gets a four-game ban for that. Eric Ten Hard not super happy with the situation. Um, Marcus Rashford had a penalty shout. Maybe he wasn't happy about that as well. Uh, but a better game, Taylor, than the scoreline suggests, I would add, even if... Was it? Ten- <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. for neutrals, certainly, it probably... Probably was. Uh, I wasn't so in love with this game. I initially was not in love with the decision to give Casemiro the red because he's given the yellow. It goes to VAR, overturned, and given a straight red. His second of the season, as Ryan mentioned there. Uh, but I think it is the right decision uh, in retrospect. And yes, some of that is that we get the the VAR slowdown that will make a gentle breeze look like a homicidal maniac if you play it over and over again from just the right angle. But in this this case, I think. 
the criteria are all there because he's going in basically out of control because he's trying to make a desperation tackle Casemiro uh, and, and and therefore isn't in full control of his body. I think it's why he has to sort of uh, engage the ball high up because he's trying to make that play. He's trying to reach. And because it's high up on the ball, it slips off. It connects with uh, Carlos Alcarez. Uh, and from there, it's basically uh, studs up into the shin or into the shin bone. And so it's out of control. It's reckless. It, it potentially causes bodily harm, which makes it dangerous. I think that's the criteria for a red card. I understand why he would feel chagrined by that. And uh, to see him crying and, and hugging Alcarez afterwards and then slowly trudging off to get picked up by Anthony, it was it was an emotional moment for, I think, Manchester United fans, but also a frustrating one for feelings that there's been some inconsistency once again in the way VAR is applied, coupled with some of the decisions, as you mentioned there, Ryan, the handball. But I think... Some of that is probably like fandom sour grapes, and so I don't want to go too hard into that one. But this was a decision that I initially was not pleased about and have slowly come to accept that maybe it was probably right that you shouldn't go shins into someone's leg or studs you, into someone's shin. That makes what do you sense. make of the Ten Hag quote after the game? Now, I will be honest. I have not gone into the match report on all 500 matches that Casemiro yeah. has played. But yeah. the quote Shame, was, yeah. Casemiro across European leagues in over 500 games never got a straight red card. Now he has two in like... Mm-hmm. A month and a half. Uh, two and three Premier League games, I believe, <laughs> is is his number, like, in terms of the numbers of games that he's been in. I mean, I, I think there is probably some aspect of Real Madrid controlling games the way they do means that he doesn't have to make those plays and doesn't have to engage in that way. Manchester United a bit more open this season, a bit more all over the place. And I think he is sort of the fiery leader of that team. And if you're going to lead by example, you're going to put yourself in those positions. It, it does, I think, Ten Hag also talking about the handball decision, the lack of even a card on Jao Felix uh, the day before in the Leicester game where he gets a pretty high up tackle and that one's not punished at all. Uh, Christian Eriksen is basically out for the rest of the season because he gets a pretty aggressive tackle. Garnacho in this game uh, finishes like walking, walking in a boot with crutches. That one's not so vicious overall, I would say. But I think there is... Like, I think for Ten Hag, there is probably a lot of smoke there, uh, and so he has to kind of bring it up. I think also he has to distract from the result, which which wasn't ideal for Manchester United. Um, but in the end, I think there's probably a little bit of, of feeling aggrieved by the way some of those decisions are, have gone. And I think ultimately it's Eric Ten Hag being a smart manager and deflecting it onto the officials and the media against us versus, yeah, we're just not good every now and then, and we got to find a way to be more consistent. Is, is there an element, Taylor, where Casemiro has been asked to do different things than he was at Real Madrid? Yeah, maybe 100%. you know, Kroos and Modric were doing things that now he has the mantle to do. Yeah, in fact, like when he was first sort of breaking through at Real Madrid or that first season when he did, a thing we talked about then was how a shortcoming in his game was closing gaps. That he was really good about sort of holding the line, directing traffic, being a playmaker, a deep line playmaker, but also being a good actual defensive defensive midfielder but when you needed him to sort of spin off of one man and get to somebody else really quickly that was where he became reckless and he didn't pick up reds but he would pick up yellow cards and it was a thing that teams I think sort of capitalized upon and tried to get him in overloads centrally and so that was the thing that I think uh, Madrid coaches from there tried to sort of make sure that didn't happen and set up in a way that didn't make him have to make those types of plays. And and I think as a result, we haven't seen him get into these situations. But with Manchester United, just a different story. A different story indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a bit more Premier League. We're going to go around the continent. We're going to talk MLS and much, 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 much more. Do stick with us back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, 
cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's go to Craven Cottage, Fulham nil, Arsenal 3. Arsenal maintaining a five-point advantage in the Premier League title race. This, Joe, is what we ha- uh, we call a ruthless performance from Champions-Elect. Or that's what I just said anyway. Sounds about right to me. I mean, this yeah. was a borderline dominant Arsenal performance. They have a goal early on in this match. That's called offsides. That one's brought back, and they still managed to score three in this particular game. They were really good. This, to me, is a game that you look back and say, yeah, this is this is one that a title winner should be going out there and dominating, should go should be going out there and performing against a team in Fulham who has not been bad this year. Like, like they've been a very good team. They're currently eighth in the Premier League after the weekend. One thing that really stood out to me in this match, besides Jedi Robinson kind of getting dunked on multiple times, but we don't have to talk about that. One thing that stood out to me from this game was how sharp some of the tactical adjustments were from Mikel Arteta. We've talked about how disciplined and smart and and really tactical this team is, oftentimes moving from kind of their 4-3-3 shape into more of a back three with a a double pivot with Zinchenko moving into midfield. It's a lot of Man City stuff. And we've talked about that. We've also talked about how teams have plenty of film on Arsenal at this point in the year, right? They understand what the primary rotations are. They understand what the kill patterns in the final third are supposed to be. So, you know, at a certain point, you have to evolve a little bit. You have to adjust while still keeping your principles the same. And in this game, I thought Mikel Arteta did adjust. So Fulham defending in a 4-4-2, you think about that that back three and midfield two that I just talked about for Arsenal, you know, you can sort of mark those two deeper central midfielders out of the game or at least cut off access into them. And I thought Fulham did a pretty good job of that with their front two and then having two more central midfielders behind them to deal with Xhaka and, and Odegaard. So I, I thought Arteta reacted to that well by dropping Xhaka a little bit deeper, a little bit wider. That then cleared space for Trossard to drop in and, and also gave Xhaka more chances to be on the ball, to dictate play from a little bit of, of, of deeper areas. And just in general, I thought it was a sharp and, and timely adjustment from Arteta. I don't think it's the only thing that defined this game. Arsenal had the talent advantage. They were the better team in other facets as well. But just another sign of Arsenal being a really, really good team that is worthy of winning this title if they can hang on. 
That's a big if, I suppose. David, um, they will be helped in that quest by the return of Gabriel Jesus, will they not? Yeah, it was one of those days, as Joe said, like you look back on it. They probably needed an easier win, one where you don't have to give a full 97 minutes to get your goals and get back in it. If you're going to be able to maintain what you need to energy-wise over the course of a title run, and then the emotional boost at the end of Gabriel Jesus coming on and the way the fans reacted even in an away game. Like it was, that may have been the loudest moment of the game. And that's for a guy coming on the field in the return. And then you add in, now you can sort of look back at it and say, you made it. Like when he got injured, the question was, can you bridge till he returns in this team that was built so heavily around him? And he was your one goal scorer at that moment when he left. And now you look at a team where there's a ton of confidence, I think across the front five or six attacking players, and you got through that spell, and so now you can manage him back the way you want to. And I think you could feel all of that coming out of this game for Arsenal. And then you add in starting with a set-piece goal, which is something where they're going to start scoring a couple more set-piece goals. This It's only going to get easier and easier for them. Indeed. Uh, Man City keeping the pressure on with a 1-0 win at Crystal Palace. Erling Haaland with a penalty that settled that one. Their bogey team, I think, Crystal Palace. They've had given us some trouble over the years. Uh, Leicester 1, Chelsea 3. A third victory in a row for Chelsea. Sound the Potter alarm. Yay. Um, <laughs> Is that actually how... That does feel like how it would be said by Graham Potter at this point in the season. Like, yep. Sound my alarm, I guess. Are we winning? Are we Okay. Can I still have a job, please? Well, 200 million more? Probably fairly drunk because apparently he gets a beer in the locker room every time they That's win. Right. So. That's right, baby. <laughs> Three in a row. <laughs> Well, is, is that the thing where the beer is delivered by Todd Bowley? Yeah. That's what Graham said. Yeah. I think it yeah. only happened once, but I'm just going to assume a good luck charm, which means beers are being had. If oh. we're assuming things, what do we assume the beer is? Because it is always strange when you have those like contractual obligations when you see the U.S. women's national team celebra- celebrating the She Believes win with cans of Bud Light that I-, I can't believe they're drinking anywhere else but in those celebrations. Do we think Todd Bowley brings uh, a can of Bud Light to Graham Potter? Is he getting something slightly more reputable or maybe something slightly more sponsor appropriate for Chelsea? I'm just going to throw this one out there. I think if you're that rich, you don't really care what the sponsors are and you'll pay the fine. And so uh-huh. you do whatever you want. I, I also think that until you're in the European places, you don't get anything other than Bud Light. Like, it, it, you're sitting in 10th. <laughs> that's the punishment. Like, you get a Bud Light. Like, that's just where you're at right now. You don't deserve something better. You're in 10th place in the Premier League. Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. I don't know. Just Why my are we hating on Bud Light right now? Oh, I'm, I'm just saying. It yeah, seems I mean, to me that like if we're Heineken talking about <laughs> lower quality alcoholic beverages, um, you, could do, you could do better than Bud Light. We'll just put it that way. I, I would be very impressed if it was Bud Light because that would mean Todd Bowley has had it flown in because there is no chance they sell it in the United Kingdom. Would you be surprised if Todd Bowley flew in Bud Light? Like at this Not point, I, I don't know what Todd... Bit. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what that man is capable of, but he will spend some money to sign players. Why not spend some money to airlift in Bud Light? Yeah. In the relegation places, though, are they getting... Uh, is that like uh, Beast Light? Like, well, what's the uh, what's the kind of lower tier one for if you're in the relegation zone? What do you get? Dirty, at full it's just time? dirty water. It's just dirty <laughs> water. What's lower than Bud Light? Bud Light with lime? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Let's uh, let um, let's hope that Bud don't sponsor our, po- our show anytime soon, and we uh, put not a bow on an issue. They won't. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not going to at this point. That's done. Indeed, indeed. Wait, uh, Taylor, they- did you know that Todd Bowley is from Maryland and went to Landon School in Bethesda? That explains some things. Are you so that angry ex- right now? Are we I mean, you? It, it, I, if anything, 
I'm just happy that like I could I could sense that there was something about him that I was like I don't trust I don't know what it is I don't trust it I'm not sure what I make of this and to know that he's from Maryland does sort of tick a few more boxes for me thank you David wonderful stuff <laughs> putting the train back on the tracks we go to the Bundesliga now Schalke two yeah, we'll see Borussia Dortmund two Schalke coming back twice in this one Dortmund dropping two points in the title race uh, Taylor end of a fairly bad week for Dortmund with what losing to the aforementioned uh, yeah. beer dispensing Chelsea and uh, you know I'm- a must win game here and they didn't I I think there's a chance that I at the very least am overreacting to this because I like with that in mind, I thought like, oh, here it is. Like I was about to message uh, Manuel, our our German football expert who we have on occasionally, to ask him, is this it? Is this the title race over? And then I realized this is one loss for Dortmund in the league. Uh, they're what like two points behind Bayern, something they also like that. Didn't Three points. Lose. They drew. It felt exactly. like there a go. loss. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I think fair. Uh, but I think it for me in the moment felt like, oh, this is it. They're slipping away. And then to realize, like, no, it's just two results. We'll see what happens. I think there is a little bit of letting past be precedent for Dortmund for me. And in looking at this game again, I think there are signs that it's still a very strong team who are motivated and capable of big things. At the same time, both of the Schalke goals come from Dortmund giving the ball away. Uh, The first one, especially in a very needless position and then not doing a good job of covering up those issues. Uh, And the second goal, it's further up the pitch. It's Allaire turning the ball over. But then it's just a a series of mistakes and and a lack of sort of tight marking, a lack of professional fouling even and I think that ruthlessness is the thing that we've always kind of worried about Dortmund not having as the season ticks yeah. on and so I don't want to say there we go this is it it's rearing its ugly head it may have just been another derby it's the Revere derby Revere derby I can never say that word properly uh, I am not it's pronounced not, David uh, Derek Ray. It's I was pronounced about to say, thank you. Thank I you. really hope this doesn't end up being me as the German guy because I am not the German guy on any level uh, noted German guy David Goss what did you make of this game Oh, my God. Um, so I do think you're being a bit overreactive. In, in German, please, in German. Yeah, yeah. obviously. <laughs> I was even going to make a joke, and then I was like, I don't even have a schnitzel. That's the most I've got for you hey, on this schnitzel. one. Uh, I, I do think you're being overreactive and not uh, – I, I understand the trepidation with this team. I do think this is different than Dortmund, which is normally the trend for them is earlier in the year, and it tails off over the second half. This is a mid-to-late-season run that they've been on where they've been really good. But they are dealing with injuries, and that's Dortmund's story, right? You look at losing Brandt on Tuesday and now losing Royce, and this is a game where the chances were there and they weren't put away. But to have a rivalry match, right, something that Mm -hmm. even though Schalke are not great this year, you're dealing with something emotional in that matchup that other people wouldn't have to against them, I think it's fine that it's a 2-2 jar. I think it's fine that Guerrero steps into midfield and gets you a goal, um, and it's obviously not their ideal setup. It's interesting that Reyna doesn't get a part of this game after coming on in the 12th minute or whatever it was in Champions League. But I do think for Dortmund, they won't walk away feeling like things are gone. They have the matchup head-to-head against no, yeah. Bayern coming, I think, in two weeks uh, at the start of April. And I, it feels like this was a game where you came out of it saying, we're still playing high-quality soccer. You can still see their DNA in what happened. Yeah, and the biggest issue for Dortmund in this game, for me, started before the opening whistle was even blown, right? It's the fact that half their best players are out with injuries or, or with the flu in Marco Royce's case. They're missing Kobel. He doesn't play in this game. They're missing Julian Brandt, which we figured after the Champions League injury. They're missing Adeyemi. They're missing Marco Royce. I mean, they're missing Makoko. 
They're missing a, a bunch of different players right now. And Gio Reyna is still clearly not trusted by Terzic to go basically 90 minutes and then come out and start another game. Like, that's what he did in the Champions League. And it, it's clear that Dortmund are managing his minutes in a real way. Because you go back through and watch his performance against Chelsea. Yeah. He was good. He was good in that game. He was influential. I don't see other than, you know, off the field stuff that, that we don't have info on. I don't think it's it's unreasonable to say that his minutes are being managed right now. So you add that. I mean, Taylor, you put this in our in our doc with notes. Like the tactical setup from Terzic, or at least the positional alignment was weird, right? You got two right-footed players on the left side. You got Rafael Guerrero as a number eight in central midfield. Not that we haven't seen those things before. Not that we haven't seen them before for Dortmund even, but it felt weird. And I, I would bet a lot of money that that is not the ideal lineup or really some of the, even the tactical intricacies weren't what Terzic wanted them to be, but he was forced into them because he doesn't have a healthy top 20 players right now. Yeah. And yet they found Malin breaking through three times in which yeah. he puts one of them away and they win this game. And the, and the Schalke goals, I can understand the frustration watching Dortmund, which is they come out of nowhere. They come against the flow of the game, which is a, also a classic Dortmund thing that they can be soft in big moments, especially with Emre Schan sort of being the only one centrally in those in those spots but I think overall you come out of it saying like they're playing well and and I think you'll yeah. feel confident going through the next stretch of games and that's right I think you all have done a good job of laying out a couple of things there Joe obviously the injuries and the and the way this sort of lineup is approached but also Goss I think looking at Schalke and that sort of rivalry influence it's also worth noting this is a Schalke team who though they are second bottom in the table have the best run of form of any team like outside of the top seven or so, I would say. they Unbeaten in their last five, three draws, two wins in the league. And so it is a Schalke team that seem, if not resurgent, because that feels like an odd thing to say about a team that is still very much <laughs> in the automatic relegation places, uh, but they seem like a much more disciplined, difficult team to beat. And I think this game was sloppy at times intentionally, that Schalke were happy to just frustrate, to sort of uh, play individually in the attack but limit Dortmund in in their own attack and and in that way I think they will certainly be happy that they get this point that they're able to come back and get the point uh but for Dortmund I think I'm sure they will feel chagrined that they're not able to hold on to the win or score a couple more that Rafael Guerrero goal has to make them feel uh pretty happy though because it is lovely and a perfect example of how I think it's it's one pass to Emre Jean and then maybe that's it, and then he plays it in. I forget if there's more people involved, but I think it's only three players, and it goes 70 yards up the pitch. Uh, it's Bellingham to Emre Jean, I believe, straight into Rafael Guerrero for the goal. Maybe there's one more involved. But I think you still saw those signs that Dortmund can be ruthless and lightning quick in their attack. And so it sets the stage for we've got Bayern Munich hosting Borussia Dortmund on April 1st, two points separating first from second. That could be the difference maker one way or the other. Uh, so I think that game just becomes all the more fascinating because Dortmund might look vulnerable, but I think for all the reasons we've already laid out, there is still plenty to be nervous about if you are Nagelsmann. By the way, I would throw on my German whatever is for this game. Like I would go to this matchup. This has to be one of the bucket list matches in the world. My German whatevers? What? what, what? Yeah, what? I was going to say Lederhosen. I was like, I would not. I would not put that on. <laughs> so I'd hold a German I'd... beer and drink it, though. Goss just wanted to say he'd go to this game. Yeah, whether exactly. he's going to wear. I mean, I guess he doesn't want to go so bad that he'll wear Lederhosen. Where is the line? I'm not really sure. Like, how silly it's... does your dress have to be? I think it's uh, denim jacket, leather sleeves, Hasselhoff embroidered on the back. Yeah, yeah. Tight. I'd do it. Tight. I'm sold. Right, perfect. And uh, a sworn um, statement that you've never had a Bud Light before, because I don't think that would fly in uh, Germany. I'll have either. to wipe some social media back 
Back yeah, there you go. <laughs> Scrub that. Uh, Bayern Munich 5, Augsburg 3, an 8-goal thriller in Bavaria here. Bayern were a goal down. They scored four in the first half, though. We had a, it was Pavard with that scissor kick, Taylor, wasn't it? Which was delightful. Yes, I'm not going to lie. I saw that get retweeted, and I was hopeful that maybe there would be another uh, Bayern stutter so that we could have that title race look even tighter. Uh, it was not to be, because Pavard just does that every now and then. He just yeah. remembers, like, oh, right, I can score a worldie, and then he does that. We had him doing that. We had Schlotterbeck having a, a beautiful sort of, like, free-flowing attacking goal from 25 yards out where he hits it perfectly. A good day for defensive players to be out there scoring goals, or I guess a good weekend for it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Leipzig three, Borussia Mönchengladbach nil. Leipzig are in third place at the moment. Yeah, uh, Gladbach in a bit of rough form right now, Taylor. Yeah, they are. Uh, Joe Scali was, was okay in this game. He was one that I was keeping an eye on. But yeah, Gladbach uh, still in 10th. Uh, 30 points from 24 games is definitely not where they thought they would be. And it does feel like with Marcus Taram definitely leaving at the end of the season, they're in for a bit of overhaul. They're going to have to change things up. Uh, who knows if that will be the manager? Hopefully not. But for Leipzig, it was a very strong performance, even with key players out. And Kunku is not involved in this one. Uh, but you wouldn't have known it because they played the 4-2-2-2, which was lovely to see again. They suffocated uh, Gladbach for much of this game. I think it's not... It's only in the second half, what, like the 50-somethingth minute that the first goal goes mm-hmm. in. But I, watching this whole game... They're just completely dominant. Gladbach have a few chances all on the break, all on a counter, all on sort of giveaways from Leipzig. But aside from that, they completely controlled the game, did uh, Rossing Ball Sport, uh, and had so many different attackers sort of buzzing around the box. I don't know if having one more just proven goal scorer would make that difference, but to see them look so strong at attack, so calm on the ball without Nkunku uh, has me thinking that they might be in a better position than I thought at the end of this season with him likely leaving. And I thought a lot of that has to do with what Marco Rosa has been able to, t- to do as a manager, where there are, though I said they're playing a 4-2-2-2, uh, I, I can't believe I got the numbers right twice in a row. I never get those numbers right. <laughs> there are, the, the, it's a liquid shape, because sometimes it looks like a back three, sometimes it looks like a back two, uh, sometimes it looks like a front six. Uh, they just keep people moving, they keep players rotating, and eventually they found a way through, and I thought this was another strong performance from them that moves them into third place in the Bundesliga. Yeah, uh, I like you dropping Rassenballsport and Revere Derby just to make David feel welcome today. It's very <laughs> nice of you. Um, David, let's take a beat on the bottom of the table in Germany. Temann Hoffenheim losing to Freiburg. Uh, they are winless since the 9th of January. Up next for them, Hertha Berlin, who are one point above the relegation zone. Ooh, drama. And you mentioned with Schalke, the run they've been on. Um, every other team in the bottom five got results and Bochum got a win. This weekend, so you see sort of towards the end of this run or towards the end of the season now, everyone except Hoffenheim waking up and saying, oh, I'd like to stay in the Bundesliga and Hoffenheim laying down and saying, yeah, we don't want to be a part of this. This is probably something we shouldn't be involved in, but it's going to make it entertaining because I think there are points to be had off some of the champion contending teams over the course of the end of this season from this group. And you're seeing more cohesive units from Stuttgart as well as Hertha. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun coming down the stretch here. Uh, I would throw in Leipzig, seven points off the title. And obviously we mentioned Dortmund, Bayern have to face off against each other coming in two weeks. I don't think Leipzig played Dortmund again. They may have one more against Bayern. So I don't think Leipzig are out of title contention either. If they can keep their form, I also wouldn't be shocked if they went through in the Champions League. Like, uh, Taylor mentioned it. They look really good right now. They look cohesive. Uh, they seem to know who they are. And if Timo Werner scoring goals like that, like you have to feel like life is good. 
If Timo Werner scoring goals, you have to like this. You just, <laughs> just phrase it that way if you like, David. Uh, very good stuff. Uh, Bundesliga, check. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's go to Spain. Let's go to Italy. And of course, let's take a look around the horn in MLS. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafari never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's go to Spain, everybody. Athletic Club, nil. Barcelona, one. Rafinha with a goal that survived a VAR check in this one. Joe pumping his fist in approval at this one. I'm I'm pumping mine too, Joe. I bet the Barca win and under two and a half goals in this one. I'm very happy. Uh, what did you make of it? Good for you, Ryan. Good work. I, I mean, it, it's a strong bet. Barcelona haven't been... In generally speaking, they haven't been in like rip roaring goal scoring form. So they, I don't think they've scored more than once in any of their last five games. Ryan, you probably have that script memorized uh, from from your bet reasoning there. But this was another game of Barcelona attempting to control the game 
with possession. They get a goal. It's, it's sort of an anticlimactic goal from Rafinha. It's a nice finish, but then we go through the whole VAR, was he on, was he off situation, and then finally it feels like we learned, and then it goes right to halftime, and it's like, what what even happened there? I don't, I don't know. So anyway, Barcelona go up 1-0 before the halftime break. The real controversy in this game comes at the end of the match. Inaki Williams gets a goal to, to equalize late in the game. It's a really nice goal, him streaking in behind the back line. It reminds you of how good Inaki Williams can be when there's space for him. Uh, a moment of Barcelona losing that control that they, they really want to achieve with their possession. But it's called back for a handball on Munain in, in the buildup to that goal from Inaki Williams. It's, it's a brutal moment for Athletic Club. It is absolutely heartbreaking for them. They almost had a point out of this game. They're currently sitting in ninth in the table. This would have gotten them, I believe, up to at least eighth in the La Liga table. I think it was the right call. I know a lot of people were, were talking about this, and it, it's harsh because of how early it occurs in the buildup, but it hit it hits the guy's arm, and it's it, you got you got to call it. If VAR sees it when you go back through and watch that goal sequence, I think you've got to call that one. So overall, not the most impressive performance from Barcelona, but these are the kinds of games that you have to win if you want to stay, you know, enough ahead of Real Madrid, who seemingly always win these games too, or at least did in seasons past, maybe less so this year. But Barcelona has been the best team in La Liga this year, even on a day like like they had against Athletic Club, where they aren't, you know, playing the opposition off the field. It feels like they're grinding out those kinds of results more often than not this year. Joe, you should cancel your your Bilbao vacation because they are not going to be happy with you. They did not enjoy that call on any level. <laughs> and if you're going to say it's the right call, you should definitely not go there anytime soon. It wasn't It wasn't like at the top of my list, simply because I feel like there's a lot of other good spots to go. Say Maryland, say St. Louis. I know Taylor's favorite place and Goss's favorite place. So, you know, maybe maybe uh, Bilbao is sort of third on that Joe, list, but I, I guess I'll bump it down a little bit further. I'll say I, I've, I've been to Bilbao. I've actually been to St. Mamas. I did a thing there a while ago, and they have a, a drink there. Um <laughs> The drink is called a cashimolo. Uh, do you know what that is? No. no it is no. red wine and Coca-Cola. And that's what they drink. Yes. And it, it is glorious. Mm. It is much better than it sounds. So make the trip there. Go see the San Mamas and the Flower Puppy and all the wonderful Bilbao stuff and uh, have a mm. cashimolo. What do you think, Joe? All right, I'm down. I got to borrow Good. Goss's German disguise just and scrub this episode i'll go back through retroactively and delete <laughs> yeah. it and then i can go after st louis after maryland then i can go i like yeah, joe we, doubling down with, with goss pointing out like you, yeah. you can't go there anymore and joe being like fine like, it was on my list it. anyway yeah. i don't even want to i don't even care <laughs> be that way joe be that way uh i think i agree mostly I was definitely not thrilled that this goal gets called back because watching it in the moment, it was like, oh, this is incredible. This is such a great story. This is such a great moment. And then for it to come back because, yes, Munayin jumps in, but is not looking at the ball, is looking away, basically. So he doesn't he's not trying to use his arm. I think the ball just kind of makes contact. You could make an argument of maybe don't jump in blind with your head facing the wrong way if you don't want calls to go against you. Well, it doesn't uh, help that Frankie de Jong's foot is eight feet off the ground when he's going in for a header. Also that. And and I think compounded by the stories about Barcelona or the allegations of Barcelona paying the vice president of officiating. Uh, I forget I forget his exact position, but basically the officiating scandal uh, and the involvement of Barcelona makes this one, I think, even more of a talking point, rightly or wrongly, whether or not those two things are connected, just because it is them 
going from dropping points in a game that they maybe should have done better in to suddenly Joe loves that phrasing to not dropping points and getting all three points. And and this was I can't remember if it was Joe or Goss who earlier said that like Arsenal going out and dominating was a sign of a champion or a sign of like what you have to be to be a champion. I agree with Joe. This was a game where Barcelona just had to get through it and get a win. And that's what they did. I don't think it was a pretty game. I think uh, uh, Athletic Bilbao made it very difficult, made it very physical, uh, made it high tempo. And I saw Barcelona, Barcelona giving the ball away pretty regularly in the first 30 minutes or so. So that they're able to then get a result, maybe with a little bit of VAR influence, uh, is still a credit to them and a credit to their uh, like hopes of uh, retaining their top spot for the rest of the season. But at the same time, just just how... like negligible is that the wrong word just that it's like it it occurs so far back from where the goal is scored and there's so many other things that happen in the lead up to that goal it just felt mildly immaterial given that where Frankie uh, de Jong's foot was and everything else but at the end of the day the computer is going to show a handball and the computer is going to say it's a handball and here we are just break the rules early just break if you're going to break the rules just do it before the the important stuff happens I mean that's that's the secret sauce (laughs) thanks Joe (laughs) You're welcome. <laughs> that reminds me from Pete Joe. The secret ingredient is crime. I, uh, I don't know where I've gone. Also, so the, the Barca story is that they paid 7 million euros for, they found out reports. that they gave the money to the vice president. They say it's for match reports. Mm-hmm. That's what they were paying for, which means we are all in the wrong industry. We should be <laughs> yeah, generating match reports because apparently they go for a million dollars a pop. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think I believe match reports that they cannot produce and do not uh, have any record of, but the son does, and he's definitely turning them over. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. A, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on there, guys. Match, I don't know what to make of that one. Match reports and whatever that like four day contract work that Mancini was doing in Russia or whatever that <laughs> yes. was, those are the two industries that we should be in as a group. Ryan, work your contacts, get us in. Yeah, or just being a really good soccer player's dad really is a good that works. gig as well, I think. That works really well. Yeah. Yeah. Todd Bowley's uh, Bud Light handler, also well paying, I would assume. Yeah. Bowley's beer man. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Bowley's beer man. There's my it's like handle. the Narcos uh, like trafficking routes, except for Todd Bowley, it's just a giant plane full of Bud Light that he flies wherever he goes. Is <laughs> is Potter Bowley's beer man? I just really want to call Graham Potter Bowley's beer man for the rest of the season. I think I'm going beer to bros. do it. It's I'm Bowley's not sure anyone bro. can stop me. Mm. Yeah. They actually deliver it all to the island of Jersey. They convince Bud Light that it's actually New Jersey, and they re- uh. they they move all the shipments there, and then they boat them up. There we go. Jer- Jersey is a tax haven as well. I'm sure Bowley would be very interested in that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm going to move on before the fire truck of lawyers come a knock in. Real Madrid 3, Espanyol 1. A fight back from a goal down for Real Madrid in this one. A season defining week for Real Madrid with Liverpool coming up and then, oh, Barcelona in the Clasico next weekend should be interesting. Uh, I'm going to go slightly off piste off the running order and just introduce some Italian soccer for a second to talk about, gents, because. I love it here, as we know. That's canon. Uh, Napoli 2, Atalanta 0. The aforementioned Kavachkelia getting the opener in this one. I sent um, an image to our uh, TSS Slack of Kavachkelia when he gets the goal. There are nine opponents in the box. There are three in front of him. It is that Maradona image of him against, is it Belgium, where he's got them all lining Mm -hmm. up in front of him. Ridiculous, Taylor. He's a ridiculous gentleman. He really is. Uh, we had that question last week about if we were going to build a team around one young player, would it be Vinny Jr., uh, Kavaradana, or Marcus Rashford? I had uh, Kavaradana second on my list. 
I still would, but it's it's a closer one. It's a much closer one after that goal and after that graphic, which was like borderline iconic for him. Uh, and another great win for Napoli against Atalanta, who have uh, are a very difficult team to score goals on, and I guess historically have been a difficult team for Napoli to break down and get a result against. So for them to do so in pretty compelling, comfortable fashion, I think also uh, has to be making Cavardana that much happier. Yeah, uh, two other things I enjoyed from this game. Uh, the kickoff, I don't know if you guys saw the kickoff. Uh, Napoli had eight players on the halfway line, and as soon as the ball was touched, they all ran forward like an yeah. NFL play. It was yep. like just awesome to see. And also the does uh, zone. I never heard to say that. zone is it? I think you said, I say that word. That's yep. the coverage uh, The coverage they do here in Italy. Um, the presenter, they've got Diletta Liotta, who is Loris Karras's partner, who was in the news a little while ago. Um she was given coffee and the rest of her presenters live on air by Napoli's Kitman slash head barista. Kitman <laughs> slash head barista. Dual duties there for a man named Tommaso Staracci. Is that, is that a Ted Lasso um, character? That's possibly. what that sounds like to me. The Kitman <laughs> slash barista feels like something that he would have made happen. It's just the most incredibly Italian thing you could imagine. But he literally comes on air and he's, he's got the mocha pot he's made the coffee for. It was a wonderful moment there. I uh, just wanted to mention that. Look it up on the socials if you feel inclined. Uh, second place Inter lost 2-1 at Spezia on Friday night. A fun one in Rome as well here in Rome. Roma losing 4-3 to Sassuolo on Sunday evening. Roma going down to 10 men in that one. Paolo Dybala with a great goal. Should you care to look that one up? to last but absolutely not least let's head to major league soccer joe lowry um i'd like to start with lefc4 new england yeah. nil two teams coming into this round with 100 percent records one of them still has one yeah it's not new england <laughs> um lfc absolutely dominant in this game new england had a couple of nice moments but LAFC are in a class of their own in the Western yep. Conference right now seattle is is still a strong team they lose one nil to fc cincinnati Earlier in the weekend, that game happened on Saturday. Uh, Seattle's still a very good team, but LAFC going down to play Alajualense to dominate that game, by and large, to come back to Major League Soccer, to dominate that game after scoring three goals against Portland in Week 1, which was really Week 2, but Week 1 for them. I mean, they've scored an absurd number of goals through three games in all competitions, and they looked really, really good. Guys, Tim Tillman coming into midfield, uh, part of the rotation, the slight rotation from Steve Chirundolo in this game, Looked like a an extremely capable MLS starter to put things a little bit mildly. I mean, Trundle could afford to rotate in every single line of the field. It wasn't like an 11 for 11 swap. But you get a different player in the front line. Steve Butte comes in for Carlos Vela. You get Tillman in for Sefuentes in the midfield line. You get uh, Palencia in the back line. You also get Aaron Long in the back line. It's th- This team is stacked. They're deep. They were dominant in this game. They real, real good, guys. Real good indeed. Yeah. Taylor, um, did you uh, catch uh, Minnesota's draw and uh, 1-1 draw with the Red Bulls? Beautiful weather they're having up there in Minnesota. I loved you? it. It was my favorite. It was my favorite because it was an orange ball. Are you kidding? I don't even yeah. care about the result. I just love uh, that the orange ball made an appearance this early in the season. Hooray for soccer in March in Minnesota uh, and giving us those types of conditions and that uh, color of soccer ball. Uh, I was pretty Pretty uh, enamored of that one. I was definitely very much enjoying the LAFC game last night. Uh, it was a comfortable win for them, Joe. Uh, I know I'm not like 
Uh, I know this is going to come as a shock to say that the defending champions are pretty good uh, still, but they are very good, and they gave New England problems all over. They looked so comfortable on the ball, certainly more comfortable than maybe uh, some of the players in the snow in Minnesota, but uh, but definitely LAFC leading the way for me and making me think that they, uh, they're probably going to be back in there in that conversation uh, come the end of the regular season. Just to tag on the LAFC convo, so they went down to Alavalense and won. Alavalense first in the Costa Rican League, which is clearly the third best league in the Americas. They had only ever lost 10 matches in that stadium across all competitions in the club's history. And LAFC went and won 3-0 in that building. So like that's how big a deal that was um, on the Minnesota game. Taylor, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was offended. Two goals in the snow and no snow angel celebration. Like oh. what are we even hmm. doing as a society at this oh, no, point? Oh, not again. Not yeah. that again. So at least at least they play Wonderwall when when uh, is it when they score or when the game's over? When the game's over, if they yeah. win, maybe I think only. But come on, you score a goal, you wheel away. There's snow covering the sideline, and you're not going to go for a snow angel celebration. I mean, I'm assuming that like that just becomes commonplace for them, and and it, they no longer even like see the snow. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Cliche. snow angel, snowball fight, make a snowman. Yeah, there's so many different options, so ways to celebrate. I think. Just make a snowball and hurl it in the direction of the VAR officials. What could go wrong? Indeed. <laughs> I, I like just clearing the snow from the lines as well. So it's basically a snow-covered field with the lines made out. It's always beautiful to see. I do enjoy oh, yeah. that very much. Uh, David, Portland won, St. Louis 2. St. Louis, uh, the first team since Seattle to win their first three matches. Uh, the Sounders... Charlotte did that, that though, right? No? Did Charlotte not do that right? We'll get to them. We'll get to that, <laughs> Shannon, in a second. Uh, the Sounders, when they did that, David, went on to uh, make the next 13 postseasons. Uh, I got that from MLS Wrap-Up. I, I, I stole a stat. You're welcome. Thanks, Jill. It was, uh, yeah, it was impressive <laughs> for St. Louis. It's been impressive. Three wins in three games, like, this is a dream scenario for them. They, uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't think they're Seattle right now. Um, I don't know that they're LAFC right now, but if you stack points early, it gives you an opportunity to, you know, maybe waver in other spots. Their depth has been tested a bit. Center back was a huge loss for them. Joakim Nielsen was supposed to be the rock of the team. He's out to start the year. He might never come back, so we're not sure there. And Hibbert stepped in and been really good. Um, but Klaus looked awesome in this game once again. They started a 17-year-old in central midfield at Portland against one of the most senior central midfields in the league in Miguel Perez, who this was the point of the team. St. Louis is a soccer hotbed and you're, you know, now have an opportunity where this player doesn't have to go to college. They don't have to move to another city. They don't have to go to Europe. Like you can start and play high level games and then go back and finish your high school classes on Monday back in St. Louis. That is awesome. What is not awesome, David? I don't know if you saw on social Portland's uh, social graphic after the game, um, a 2-1 loss, of course, this was. Held at home was the caption. Held at home for a 2-1 loss. That's not what that means. <laughs> no, don't, not I don't on approve. any I don't approve at all. It's still live. As we record it, it's still live on social as well. So uh, have a think about yourselves there, Portland <laughs> social team. Uh, also to have a think about themselves, Joe, Charlotte FC, nil. Atala Atalanta? Atlanta, three, I should say. Uh, Caleb Wiley, homegrown of Atlanta. Uh, he was part of their first ever academy in their under-12s. A brace uh, and an assist in the first half for this one. Let's talk about how great Atlanta was and nothing else about the other side. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we can do that. Sorry, I'm still stuck on the Portland thing. Is it is it just my brain that like totally understands what the admin was trying to do there? Like, no. They, they were held at home. Like, you lost. We were held at home. 
to zero points is, is should I not die on this hill? Should I just in, roll over in, and accept society? In standard soccer nomenclature, held means a draw. Yeah, surely. it does mean a draw. Okay, yeah. gotcha. There's no right. way around that, Joe. Uh, Fair not enough. that I disagree, but I feel like I always hear that as held to a draw. Yeah, and but Joe's but Ryan's point is they weren't. They lost. Right, but but like <laughs> if you just say held to. Is the to a draw implied? Yes. Are you saying it's automatically implied if you say they were held? You think you can finish that with to a draw? This yes. this just feels like a Britishism, and I generally try to reject all Britishisms Joe, in soccer other held. than they the lost. word soccer. They were not held um, by anything. They lost the game. <laughs> Joe, I would die on the hill with you on that, and I still yeah. think you're wrong. Okay, all right, fair enough. I will I will see <laughs> for that I reason. That reason hate alone. Britishism. <laughs> I love how angry Ryan got there. That made it all worth it. Uh, let's talk about Atlanta, and then and then we can make Ryan feel even worse. Um, Atlanta really good in this game. They looked electric. Uh, Diago Almada looked like a difference maker MVP level player. And Caleb Wiley is out here shining on the left wing, which I, I don't ultimately think is going to be his best role. But he's still so young that you know maybe it could be at 18 years old. I think ultimately he's going to go back and be a left back and be just a really vertical, athletic technical presence from that spot. I think he's going to bring more at, at left back than he will at left wing. But with Derek Etienne Jr., Taylor's favorite player of all time, close family friend, with him still working Best his friends. way back Best into friends. the team. Um, <laughs> then I, uh, it it I gets closer every time you say it. It does. It does. Next time <laughs> it's going to be my like cousin. Yeah. 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 Either way. <laughs> um, Best man at Taylor's wedding, all that stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I think it makes sense to play Caleb Wiley out on the left, and he, and he was really good. Incisive, direct, Efficient with his touches. So a lot to like for Atlanta. One thing that I, I didn't love, and uh, Doyle was all over this on uh, on Saturday, is how long Luis Araujo takes to do everything on the ball. He is an elite talent in this league. He is top three in terms of raw ability and skill on the ball. But he almost always tries to be a Harlem Globetrotter instead of like an actual NBA player. Like, like that's what I think of when I watch this guy play. He's always doing like three things too many. And it took what could have been a a four or five nil win for Atlanta into a three nil. So ultimately, didn't matter in this case. Will very much matter as the season goes on. Ryan, let's talk about Charlotte, shall we? Um, they yeah. were they're really bad. Like like there are bones here for this team that can make them competitive. They are not as bad as they showed in this match, but they were played off the field. Like they were getting booed at home by their fans, and, and understandably so. This team is weird right now. Uh, Carol Swiderski doesn't belong out on the left wing. It doesn't make sense to me. He should be playing underneath or just as a lone striker. Like I, I don't understand, and, and maybe we'll talk about this more on tomorrow's show where we dive deeper into some MLS stuff. For me, if I'm uh, Zoran Kronetta, I, I don't really know why your big offseason move was to go out there and sign a number nine when you have a number nine on your team and you don't have an above-average number 10. And if we know one thing about MLS, it's that number 10s can be like these outsized impacts game-changing players, and if you get a really good one, you go out there and spend $6 million or whatever they spent on Capetti on a number 10, like you immediately become a better team. I, I don't understand why they chose to allocate resources in the way that they did over the offseason between that and, and probably some overthought tactical choices from Latanzio and just the fact that their their DP signing from midway through last year in uh, Josviak is a bust. Like it's It's rough times in Charlotte right now. But at least they have the worst goal difference in the entire league. Is that not good? Go ahead, Ryan. You can take that one if you want. <laughs> I don't think it is, in summary. Uh, overthought no? tactical choices is a group way of uh, describing Latanje's approach here, Joe. It made, made uh, Pet look like he phones it in in that sense. It was a lot of, a lot of crazy moves going on. In well, the, yeah, I, the yeah, Swiderski I like thing, it. the wild part is that he doesn't play him there. Like, 
okay, you accept, you finished him as a 10 last year and you were like, okay, this guy's a really good 10. But now they don't play him in that spot. So it's not even like, well, we can't sign a 10 because Swiderski's at his best there, so we have to leave him there because they don't play him there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 go ahead, Taylor. Go ahead. It's fine. Well, I just I want got, to say like th- this was my concern from the beginning in my preview. I talked about this that Swiderski like can play in that spot, but from what I saw and what I read, wants to be the kind of like late arriving runner. Wants to play off the hold up forward, who will then sort of play him into space and then be there if there's going to be like a, like a low cross, the FIFA goal or something like that. But. Copetti, like, sort of, I think, is going to be the player who also can, like, he can lead the line, but he can also sit deep. And it just felt to me like it was not necessarily a match made in heaven, like they were going to do redundant things. And I feel like they are sort of doing that uh, right now. And maybe that's why we're having to see Swiderski moved around, because I think they're still trying to figure out a way to get the best out of those two players, since, as Joe said, Jozviak isn't doing very much. But it still just feels like the things that I was concerned about doing that Charlotte preview, and I think a lot of Charlotte fans were concerned about, are very much present so far. Only three games in. We'll see what happens. But it, it doesn't seem like we're getting more clarity with Charlotte. It feels like we're getting more questions than we are answers. I will say it will get better, Ryan, for, for you and for Charlotte fans. It's going to get better because Cause, you know, cause it literally really, can't get worse. It can't right? get worse. <laughs> I mean, At the yeah. same time, they're they're straight up more talented though than Montreal. They're more talented than Chicago. Like they're not going to win the spoon this year. At least I'd be very surprised if they did. It, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to figure out a more sustainable way and a more effective way to set up this team. I will be shocked if we don't see at least a couple of changes in the eleven or at least positional changes by next week. Things will improve, but yeah, just an incredibly frustrating start to the year for Charlotte. Right. I will say, I think it's impressive that two years in, you have created like a culture in the club in which you have traditions like your coach saying it's the player's fault and the players aren't good <laughs> enough two years in a row. Like it takes clubs generations to build traditions oh, like that. You can't oh. buy that. You can't yeah, buy you that. Can't buy, you, you can't buy yeah. culture. Exactly. Oh my. I appreciate you leading us on that note. Uh, we're going to be going into uh, MLS uh, a lot more in Tuesday's show, as Joe mentioned. David, I'll give you the floor. Is there any other MLS uh, games you wanted to give a quick shout out to before we head off into the sunset? Today? Yeah, I think we have to mention FC Cincinnati uh, beating Seattle at home and doing it pretty handily and looking really good. They are a team that, you know, fifth in the East last year after being the worst team in the league for three straight years. Wasn't sure if there's more improvement there because just staying there would be impressive. And this win is like, we could be supporter shield contender type team. Uh, Lucho Acosta looks incredible. Brenner had the whole Nottingham Forest deal where it looked like he was going to England. He didn't. He was in Brazil, kind of was unsure if he'd even be a part of the team. He scores the goal uh, and they look dominant against one of the best teams in the league. And the other one is Andre Blake coming off hurt for Philly. He he's a goalkeeper, so he doesn't get MVP votes. He doesn't get talked about, but Philly's been arguably the most consistent best team over the last four years, three years, uh, and he's their best player. So if he's out for a large stretch, that changes the calculus, I think, across the league. Good stuff. We've covered an awful lot of ground today. Let's go and uh, have a lie down and think about all of that. For now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. Thank you, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, sir. Pleasure was mine, my friend. And David Goss, excellent stuff. Won't you join us again on the Weekend Review? Guten Tag. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Thank you very so, much, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's not like an aloha situation. No, it's not a both ways. No, no, it's not. But uh, we'll work on that. Don't worry. David. I mean, but, hey, if Bonjourno can be or whatever, uh, Joe, what did you go with? Did you just go with Bonjour? Just Bonjour. Just bonjour. As a way to end the yeah, show. Just, yeah, Bonjour. Bonjour. Guten Tag. I'm glad I went with it. Goodbyes. Because I just Googled it. It says it's Verabischingdung. So flawless German. (laughs) Flawless German. I love that Ryan, who actually speaks German, has kept his powder dry on this one. Ryan, how do you say goodbye? You can say tschüss. Oh, you're gonna do it now, aren't you? You're gonna do it, aren't you? Do it and end it the way you do. Sing, sing song juice for me. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed shortly. Tschüss. <laughs>